What is up, wrestling fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast here on the Smart Cameraman channel, where we go back in time to the year 2002, check out what's happening on Smackdown when Paul Heyman was the head writer. I'm your host, as always, Callum Wiggins, and joining me, as always, Robert DeFelice. How are we doing, Callum? Doing pretty well. It's um, getting close to Armageddon now, so last pay-per-view of 2002, we're almost seeing in the dizzying heights of 2003. Yes. Armageddon is a, it's an interesting show, but it's one that has been built to rather nicely, I feel, and this one will cap it off. Yep, so we'll definitely be talking about Armageddon 2002 as part of the Patreon, uh, like $10 tier and above. If you're part of the Darkcast tier, then you'll be checking out that review, but we'll talk about that a little bit later, because we've still got to build up to this show with this one. But what you can do right now is you can leave a like and a comment on the video if you're watching on youtube let us know how you're doing let us know how you're yeah let us know how you're doing let us know how you're enjoying the series so far all that other great stuff um if you're listening to one of the podcast feeds then just drop a rating or a review or just keep listening throughout those ones as well if you're on youtube as well check out the playlist if you want to go back to the very beginning we're on episode 25 now so there's a lot of paul Heyman smackdown for you to catch up on at this point and there is a link in the description to this episode on the ww network if you have not yet checked it out in advance so with that admin out of the way, let's do a little bit more with some news. Um, not a huge amount of uh, news of particular interest. From the WWE side of things, uh, Godfather was released from WWE. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, we, the last time we saw him was um, bringing the hose out to uh, try and convince Billy and Chuck that they weren't gay. Uh, that is correct. And he had just come back, right? He came back at the uh, Royal Rumble? Yeah, he'd come back at the uh, Royal Rumble 2002 and... Uh, He'd turned heel pretty soon after that by just being like, I, I, they, I guess they had this really strict feeling about in like 2001, 2002 of, okay, we just don't want the God, Godfather to be the Godfather anymore. Well, over there, like where you are in the UK, they had a strict uh, issue with the word hose, right? I believe so. It wouldn't surprise me if we were a little bit stricter about those side of things as well. But I know when he came back, he was usually wrestling on heat, and he was just... I don't even know if he was going by the name The Godfather. He might have even just been going by Charles Wright. I don't know about that, but at that point, but he definitely he spent his last few months before getting injured just on heat, doing nothing, really. That's unfortunate. Godfather had a lot to offer wrestling, I think, and had he come in even a little bit later on, I think he would have been a bigger star in terms of wrestling. So apparently, also the Wrestling Observer reported that Farouk's contract was going to be up in February of 2003. And at this point, it was saying that his contract is unlikely to be renewed. But it turns out that it was renewed because they decided, hey, let's just move uh, Bradshaw over to SmackDown again. Much better idea than having them split apart, even though, of course, Bradshaw does eventually separate and it is, you know, a good move for him. But at the time... With what they were doing, it wasn't great. So in other, I, I guess it's slightly contract-related news, but two people that are still signing the company but are not are in the bit of the doghouse at the moment, which is Justin Credible and Jeff Hardy. Uh, they were both suspended for repeatedly arriving at house shows late. Huh, really? Yeah, so Jeff Hardy has this match. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about Raw. He has a match with uh, Triple H on that episode, but then he goes away for a few weeks due to being suspended. 
Uh, he comes back and has his first ill-fated heel turn. Uh, is that when they tried to like make him a heel for Sean? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That didn't work out. No, it did not work out at all. <laughs> but uh, but that's something that's going on right now. Nothing, nothing too major to report. Jeff Hardy would be back in the fold until he gets released later in, later in 2003. And I don't know exactly when Just Incredible is released, but I assume it's pretty soon from now. Because at this point, if you told somebody Just Incredible was with the company in 2002, they would be perplexed. So I'm a little bit surprised myself that he's even still here at this point. So Gail Kim made her debut at a SmackDown house show. Uh, she, she defeated, uh, well, you say that, she defeated Dormarie in a bra and panties match. What? For, yep. th- there's a lot going on there. First of all, that O'Brien panties match was the dark match. No, it was, well, I mean, it's not a dark match. They they were doing Brian panties matches on house shows constantly at that point in time. Uh, well, uh, between, I don't uh, know. Main, mainly between Tory and uh, Dawn. But then, Dawn, I'm sure. But then when Tory wasn't available for certain reasons, they would bring in Nidia or Gail Kim or some other woman to face Dawn. Or if Dawn wasn't available, then Nidia would face Tory. But pretty much all of their matches on house shows would Brian panties matches or some sort of. Like so se- now you're gimmick. saying this is Gail Kim's debut. Mm. So the audience has no incentive to be like, oh, this is great. It's Gail Kim. You know, that's that's so odd. And then to have her beat the established star in Don Marie, just very strange stuff. Mm. Well, I guess they just I guess on house shows, there's just more of an inclination to put the baby face over. Yeah, I guess as long as yeah, it could have been anybody, I guess. And the also, there might have been a great inclination. Yeah, also, yeah, there might have been a great inclination just to see Dawn Marie and Oberon Hansen. Yeah. yeah. So, but not not so that Gal Kim is unattractive by any stretch of the imagination, but I guess like everyone knows what the Dawn looks great in Brian Panties and decided, oh, let's just get beaten by this other girl. <laughs> yeah, because nobody would know Gal. They'd have been like, oh, that's nice, but uh, who is she? Yeah, exactly. So, other stuff that was going on uh, behind the scenes and on the SmackDown side of things was a whole load of backstage discussion and arguments surrounding the whole Mysterio injury angle, which we'll obviously talk about a little bit more on this episode. But essentially, there was a lot of debate backstage about who should be the person to take out Mysterio. Obviously, as we found out, they went with Albert. But the original pitch that Heyman wanted to go with, well, originally it was meant to be Benoit. Hmm. So it's going to be Benoit versus because the idea they were thinking of towards heading towards Royal Rumble would be that Benoit would face Mysterio or that at least both of them would be in the Rumble match and they would build up to a feud off that side of things. But they decided to go in the direction of turning Benoit gradually babyface. And then that would also involve a Royal Rumble match between Angle and Edge for the WWE Championship and Big Show versus The Undertaker. So none of that happens. Yeah, exactly. So that's so interesting because you said gradually turned Benoit babyface. I've been operating under the assumption that ever since SummerSlam, pretty much, Benoit has been a babyface. And I think Benoit would have been a great, you know, rabid Wolverine type to attack Ray and injure him. And I, honestly, I think the way that they had it set wouldn't have been t- too terrible because... We know Edge and Angle can work. We know, you know, Benoit versus Mysterio would have been great. And they end up doing Undertaker and Big Show anyway. 
Just not at the Royal Rumble. Yeah, but the actual push after that point from uh, once they decided not to go with the Benoit thing because they wanted, Heyman wanted Angle versus Benoit to be at the Rumble. But his alternative pitch was Matt Hardy. To take out Ray? To take out Ray instead, yeah. I, I like that because, again, I would have went with that too because they're going to work at Mania anyway. But I guess that's the benefit of hindsight that we have. Yeah, so the idea was that they Heyman had kind of like positioned it because of they had that tag team match the week prior between Matt Hardy and Cena defeating Edge and Mysterio. And so the idea was that would lead to a singles match between Matt Hardy and Mysterio. Matt Hardy would take out the knee of Mysterio and then would take out Edge leading into the Fatal 4-Way match as well. And so he gets a massive heat off the back of that. He would have a match with Edge at Armageddon, probably lose that one. Then he would meet Rey Mysterio in the... Uh, Royal Rumble. I don't know then if it would lead directly. I because sh- I assume it would kind of cut away from the what actually happened with Matt Hardy winning the title. Because I assume they would have had a match at No Way Out instead. Right. So that mean would have mean that okay, maybe Kidman holds the title going into WrestleMania. And if Kidman holds the title going into WrestleMania, that means no cruiserweight title match on WrestleMania. Yeah, for for real. Um. I think it would have been a great push for Matt because Matt and Edge obviously can work. But Albert being the killer is a great role for him. It just didn't work out. And we can say that now. But at the time, you know, there was nothing too wrong with it. Who do you think was the person that pitched to Vince to have Albert as the guy that did it instead? Can I? How many guesses do I get? Uh, I'll give you a couple just to... Um, just be- Based was on it Bruce? Right, it wasn't Bruce, no. Was it Stephanie? It wasn't Stephanie, no. Um, G- Gewertz was on Raw, so it wasn't mm-hmm. him. Was, was it, it Hunter? Was not, it wasn't Hunter either. It's um, it was um, Mr. People Power himself, John Laurinaitis. Ah, uh, you know what? He is such a Johnny guy. Mm. He like when you look at Albert, he's a Johnny guy because he's the size and. He's not the best talker, but I, I can see it. Yeah, no, apparently, the um, biggest issue with this whole thing was the idea that Hardy kn- was told prior to... Well, essentially, he kn- thought going into that episode of SmackDown that we watched last week that he was going to be the person taking out Mysterio. And they switched it at the very last minute to Albert. And so Hardy was very, very angry about that. You mean Heyman jumped the gun telling a talent? That he had big plans for them before he wrote it by Vince? Well, yeah, well, Heyman has this sort of mentality of, like, long-term storytelling that uh, <laughs> that Vince doesn't really subscribe to. No. Especially not at this point in time. Uh, well, basically from this point onwards. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of what was happening backstage at SmackDown that was causing a little bit of a stir. Um, let's move a little bit towards outside of WWE just for a little bit to talk about TNA stuff. Uh, right. So, Roddy Piper appeared on TNA. Hmm. Uh, obviously on the back of his um his a uh, book promotion and he arrived and they did this i don't know if you recall this this infamous shoot promo angle between him and vince russo i don't off the top of my head what did he say well essentially the the biggest most controversial thing that piper said and that's obviously covering a lot of ground but was the... he killed Owen Hart? was he yeah yeah yeah, Owen that, Hart? yeah that was the line yeah. he said that um he killed uh yeah. t- accused vince of uh yeah killing owen that's awful uh, like okay let's tell the truth here that's awful i would not want that on anybody's conscience 
No, of course not. Like, but, uh, but you know, that company did kill Owen. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not Vince on his own or anybody. The idea, but, but I guess like Piper was inferring that you were the one that gave him the blue blazer gimmick. If he didn't have the blue blazer gimmick, he wouldn't have been put into that situation. He wouldn't have had to suffer that kind of things. But no, there's there are a lot of factors involved in that. Vince's role is actually pretty minimal because yes, he gave him the blue blazer character. But he didn't necessarily have to tell. I assume he wasn't the one that told Owen, "Yeah, we're going to hang you from the ceiling for this thing." Yeah, I th- I feel bad for him because that's one of those things that probably anybody to this day that wants to troll him immediately goes to that, and that's not fair. So apparently, Piper's fi- Piper's um appearance in TNA went completely unannounced because Piper wanted it to be a surprise, and so it meant that obviously. It was a surprise, but it also meant that any opportunity they could have got to sc- score a few more pay-per-view buys off the back of Piper appearing went up in the smoke. And then they did this shoot angle. Apparently, only about a do- half a dozen people in TNA knew that Piper was even going to be on the show. Most of them were just kept in the dark, including Mike Tanay on commentary. That's unfortunate. Yeah, so, yeah, just, well, I don't want to say like TNA in general, but there was a, especially in WCW, there was a a trend really with Vince Russo of working the boys. So, Oh I yeah, guess... because that's very Vince Russo because if the boys don't know, then the mocks won't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Vince. Yeah. Um, outside of that, we have something from our old friends at world wrestling all-stars. Oh no. I thought we left them in 2001. Cal. Uh, they're still going in 2002. Um, so it's not, it's nothing super major, but, um, so they were doing some shows in the UK so they were in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, uh-huh. in front of like 3,000 people. Um, so their t- championship had to be vacated due to the fact that their previous champion was Scott Steiner. And Seems fair. Yeah, and obviously now he's in WWE, so that means they had to vacate the title. And so what they decided to do as the main event of this one was what's kind of like, a, um, like two big WCW stars that would have been available at this point in time. To work, one Sting that's and Lex Luger. There, you got it. Nailed it in one there. Sting against Lex Luger for the yeah. uh, for the WWE title. And guess that, who won? I'm gonna guess it's that man called Sting. Actually, it's that man called Lex. Really? Uh, because Jeff Jarrett hit Sting with the guitar. With the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. That was actually the um. That was actually the well. He hit Sting twice with the guitar. Uh, that was his second and third uh, hits with the guitar on that actually show itself because he also defended the NWA championship on that show against one Nathan Jones. And he could only get around that by hitting him with the guitar, I'm sure. Mm. Yeah, so there was a few guys on the show. There was um, Frankie Kazarian was on that, Mike Sanders, uh, Simon Diamond, Sabu, Perry Saturn. Obviously, Sarah, Perry Saturn only recently released. Uh, but yeah, it's just just a few just stragglers from old wcw and ecw just appearing on this i think this is like their uh penultimate pay-per-view before they disband as a company how are they still going like you know i don't want to be mean right but like the fuck man i think i think in the remnants of wcw dying and stuff like that i think they were these sort of shows survived for a little while onwards from it probably it probably curtails around about 2003 i mean 
but these people still hold some value as like, oh, these guys used to be for WCW and they're not wrestling in the US, they're wrestling in the UK or in Australia or places like that, which don't get a huge amount of quote-unquote mainstream wrestling. So I guess that was just enough for them to make a certain amount of money to make these shows worthwhile. Do you think this would have happened, remotely happened, if it wasn't for the fact that when they closed down WCW, a lot of these guys were still healthy? Oh, yeah. Because if you think about it, even though we don't see Lex on a main stage ever again, Lex still had a lot to offer. Like, he was in the main events of pay-per-views right before WCW closed its doors. It's just wild to me that they all started... And they all were just miserable. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of what you would expect. I mean, even though Lex Luger was still in the main events towards the very end of WCW's run, he shouldn't have been in the main events of WCW by the end of his run because he was, I mean, he was in good physical shape, but not actual, like, ring shape. So... And even worse in 2002 when he was working a very limited schedule and only making certain appearances. But Sting was looked good and Sting was in great shape because Sting would would be in great shape for the majority of the <laughs> early 2000s and even mid to late 2000s. And he's still wrestling in AEW. So, so. I mean, you know, face paint goes a long way because he still looks great, still talks great, still looks like Sting. Face paint is the key. Absolutely. But, um, so yeah, that's basically what's going on with the uh, outside world of wrestling. So let's talk a little bit about Raw before we get into the whole big SmackDown thing, starting with the ratings war. So for this uh, Raw edition, the uh, December 9th, 2002, scored a 3.3 compared to SmackDown's uh, 12th and 12th in um, a 3.71. So SmackDown win fairly handily again. Um, But uh, a bit of a drop for SmackDown from the previous week. I guess the whole lesbian intrigue didn't uh, get the desired reaction. Uh, I would argue the point of this is one of those, well, maybe had they advertised because like nobody might have known. You, at this point, if you're seeing Don and Tori, maybe you're turning the channel. You know, you're not even waiting to see that Don's going to invite Tori to the hotel room. Mm, yeah, potentially. So what was Raw doing? So Eric Bischoff announced that the Armageddon main event between Triple H and Shawn Michaels for the World Heavyweight Championship would be a two out of three falls match. This is one of the most logical match explanations of all time. So the first fall is a street fight like they had at SummerSlam. The second fall is a steel cage similar to the one they were in at Survivor Series, and the third fall, if necessary, is a ladder match stemming off the back of, the, of Shawn Michaels making the ladder match famous. This makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. They were telling the story, obviously, as we've discussed in uh, prior episodes, about Shawn Michaels not being the real HBK anymore. So this whole show was kind of built around uh, Triple H kind of promo saying that Michaels used to be the man, but now Triple H is the man. Flair was basically backing him up, saying that Triple H is the guy now and Michaels is a has-been. Um, yeah. And uh, Triple H beat Jeff Hardy in a match, beat him up with a steel chair afterwards. That was to injure Jeff Hardy so he could take his, his suspension time off. And then they had a fight to close the show in the parking lot, which Michaels got the better of. 
yes, he delivers an elbow drop from a ladder, basically into like the back of a semi or something to that effect. It was a great segment, and it was one of the real, like, okay, Shawn Michaels is back. Yeah, absolutely. Other scenes that happened on the show, we have the Dudley Boys and Trish Stratus defeated Chris Jericho, Christian, and Victoria in an intergender tables match. This can't be good. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how good or bad matches because I didn't go back and watch it, but... The only thing I do know is that Trish won the match for the team by putting Victoria through a table with a powerbomb. Fair enough. So at least they had the woman put the other woman through the table. Uh, Trish uh, defeating the champion meant that she was uh, added to that Armageddon triple threat match. But they would have the women's title. And it's a good match too. And one of the better matches that we'll talk about from the women in this era. Uh, the other competitor in that in that women's match, Jacqueline, had a match with Stephen Richards. Jackie beat men a lot. Well, she lost to a man here because she lost to Stephen Richards. Really? Yeah, Stephen Richards beat her. Well, that's that's odd to me considering how they usually treat Stevie. Mm. Uh, other things that happened: Kane defeated Rosie and Jamal in a handicap match. So really, is, there, is this their goodbye yet? Are they done yet? Uh, no. I, well, to be fair, Jamal. Um, was also taking a bit of time off. I don't know whether it was due to suspension or anything like that, but he was out for a couple of times. But I tell you, I, I still tell you this, that uh, three-minute warning don't disappear until lo- at least a, a month after Goldberg debut. That's right, you just said it was Goldberg. Because um, Goldberg's the guy that takes them both out. That's in, first of all, how, how like Goldberg to do that? Second of all, I, I just don't... I don't get it because they don't put any emphasis on three-minute warning. No, they're pretty down at this point. Um, they tried to beat up Kane post-match to try and build up a little bit of heat, but RVD came out to make the save. This was because RVD uh, lost to Batista by DQ in the uh, in a match prior to the show uh, when Kane got involved. and so. But they're still trying to build the idea of Kane and RVD being sort of friends at this point. Right, and that would eventually peak i want to say around wrestlemania um yeah well they obviously became tag team champions i think the a week after wrestlemania right because they decided that they weren't going to do it on heat when they're actually fighting uh morley and didn't Storm. the dudley boys turn on them yeah that was kind of yeah that was kind of the story built up surrounding it was the idea i don't know what the why the Dudley boys wanted to work for Chief Morley or what the reason behind it was, like what he had over them. But essentially, he, they were doing the bidding of Chief Morley, or at least Bubba was doing it, and Devon wanted to rebel, essentially, and do his own thing. But Bubba was the one that was saying, OK, we need to do this if we want to get the tag team titles back. Huh. That, that's one of those stories that they don't really wrap up in a cohesive way it just sort of goes away yeah one of the few thousand stories that end yeah, sort of <laughs> yeah one of the, a very small number and then there was also william regal and lance storm defeat booker t and goldust with goldust tapping out to the sharpshooter by storm um oh, he doesn't do that often no he doesn't uh, but essentially the idea was that goldust tapping out was another indication that he was the weak link goldust in the uh preceding this or following this match, uh, said that um, he was going to talk to Eric Bischoff about getting himself removed from the Fatal 4-Way match at Armageddon and get Booker T a replacement. 
but because he managed to convince him to get involved and take part but they're still telling the story of like if Goldust is the one who's in the match then they'll lose essentially yeah so fair story a little wonky nowadays because it's 18 years later and he's still going strong but it's a good story to go into a pay-per-view so without further ado let's move on to the smackdown from uh, december 12 2002 from the american airline center in dallas texas so yeah down in uh down texas at this point they're very this is a time where i feel like they're very set on their arenas and their cities yeah, they're not I mean, venturing out too much. Uh, I guess they don't really seem to need to or anything like that. It's not like they're competing with another uh, company. I also just realized that uh, I had the uh, venue from the previous week's show because I forgot to change that because I'm an idiot. Instead, it is actually from the <laughs> Phillips. It's it's not too. It's not too. It's not an, like immensely far away. I, I guess that's based on how well I know American geography. It's um. It's in Atlanta, Georgia, the Phillips Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, so. Yeah, southern territory still, but I, I thought they were just in the airline center. That's good. No, so, no, that's uh, that, that was the previous week's one, so I'll make sure to update my notes accordingly in future. But um, I, I think I've gotten most stuff right going forward, so I think I can cut a little bit of slack at this point. We are 25 episodes in. Yeah, you're fine. We're half a year in. That's crazy as it seems. Let's hope my notes are correct then, at the very least, if I hadn't just written all of last week's notes up instead. But... Um, the show um, starts off with the um, with a video recap of the real talking point from the previous show. Not, of course, that we have a new number one contender for the WWE Championship that's going to be main event in the next pay-per-view. No, we have Dormery and uh, Tori Wilson in a hotel room. Uh, this is the thing. Yeah, the, this is the talking point. This is the story right now. This is the talking point. It was not that fatal for way. And then they announced that the main event will be Kurt Angle and Edge against Big Show and A-Train in a tag team match. Or at least at this point, he's referred to as Albert. And there's a thing that I'm going to talk about a lot on this show is the fact that there is a lot in this show which is cut out, and I don't know why. Uh, maybe Benoit? No, it's not actually Benoit, because they do have a um a promo segment with Benoit, I think, in this one. But it's not it's not all associated with Benoit, at least to my knowledge. I just... I tried to do a little bit of research and digging up on it because I read like some recaps of the show to see what exactly was missed. And I can't see any logical reason why it's gone other than just maybe they just can't get the footage for it or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just lost in time. But essentially, that's the main event. And we also have Scott Steiner signing with SmackDown, or at least so we are told. So Stephanie, thanks. We have the night's opener which is Rikishi taking on B-squared, Bull Buchanan. Um, In a match that goes a little less than your average woman's match, maybe? Yeah, it's very, very short and very unmemorable as well. So apparently Rikishi won the hip-hop challenge from the previous week. I don't like. I don't think they actually formally announced that he won it. And well, I- Taz clearly stated that he was a supporter of Rikishi, at least. Yeah, of course. But um, I also noticed that the uh, setup is inverted from how it usually is. So basically the hard camera is in this area where the stage is to the right rather than the left. Well, I'm thinking either maybe they were experimenting or more likely just like a one-off change. 
Yeah, I, I guess the layout of the arena meant that it was unfeasible to have it the other way around. Well, they do the American Airlines Center a lot. It's not, yeah, but it's not American Airlines. Airlines, is it? It's Phillips Arena. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> now you're <laughs> no, Rob. We need to. We need to know where we are right now. <laughs> Listen, we're, we're in Atlanta, Georgia. I so I don't know the layout of the Phillips Center. I I um actually don't know much about that outside of this event. So maybe it was just a one-off for this event because of the arena. Yeah, it's it's actually the um it's the State Farm Arena now. Oh, yeah. That's that sounds like something you would hear more often. So, um, so Rikishi dominates early. B Square fights back with a like a knee to the gut. He stomps the mud hole. Uh, before he does this, the thing about Bull Buchanan is that he was very, very athletic, and so he did this huge leap to the top rope and then dives off with a clothesline. Like not many guys on the roster at this point in time could do moves like that. Bull Buchanan, great guy, right place, wrong time. <laughs> Yeah, they'd be more of a um, fit as a big guy who can do a lot of athletic stuff nowadays than he would be when you needed a lot more character at this point in time. Yeah. Um, Rikishi hits a Simone drop. He teases them flattening B2 with his ass. Uh, <laughs> before I'm calling him B2 as well because I'm, on my notes I've got him written as B2 rather than B squared. Just to... yeah, that's fine. Listen, nobody recalls B squared. Yeah. Uh, Cena gets on the aprons, but he's, he's uh, launched into the ring by Rikishi. Uh, Cena gets on the apron again as Rikishi goes to the stink face. Uh, B2, B squared then hits a low blow. B squared then teases taking his belt off to use as a weapon, but the referee's, while the referee's trying to stop him, Cena gets in the ring, hits Rikishi with his chain. B squared covers and gets the victory over Rikishi. B squared gets the victory over the hardest working man on SmackDown. There's something about that that doesn't feel right. You know what also doesn't feel right? What the hell did the referee think happened to Rikishi? <laughs> Yeah, do you, think he, I, do you think he just collapsed because his balls were hurting so much? Because he walks away from the 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 nut shot and he's like standing up. So the referee just thought, okay, he just collapsed because the ball pain got too bad for him. Listen, I imagine that that is very much what the referee thinks. I hate when the referees just act like complete imbeciles. And we're going to see a lot of that tonight. There actually, there's actually a few cases of uh, referee buffoonery on this one, but uh, we'll get to it. Um, Tori arrives backstage. Uh, commentary go crazy about how hot she is. Like they are yeah. literally like just like they're essentially just drooling through their microphones at this point. Just like, oh well, a blonde, attractive woman in her mid twenties has arrived in a in a jacket or whatever. It's just wow. Do you she's... think Heyman has a type? I mean, I'm Vince beginning has a to type. see. I know that much. I know that much. Well, Vince definitely has a type, but so does Heyman here. Because let's look at it. Tori. Got pushed a lot while he was running SmackDown. There's a... Nowadays, we have Liv Morgan. We talked about Kelly Kelly recently. I think Heyman might have a thing for blondes. I think there's a, there is a chance that Heyman had a thing for blondes, but I think Heyman just had a thing for hot women. Uh, well, that, like you that's had, absolutely fair. I mean, I mean, think of the people that he had in ECW. You had um, Bueller. Wasn't, wasn't a tip. Well, I guess, I don't know whether you'd cast her as a blonde or not, but... Wasn't typical in that regard. Dormery obviously was in ECW. Lita was in ECW. Yeah, Jazz obviously, but that was obviously for a very different dynamic. Francine wasn't wasn't blonde, so I don't. I think there was very much a propensity towards that in the just grand overarching scheme of WWE, especially under John Laurinaitis' stewardship of who was signed and who was not signed. 
it's definitely it's definitely interesting to see when you go back and look at how many similarities there are from all these top women. Uh, Tori walks past some guys who start like smiling and joking towards her, and so she's a little bit off put. And then she walks into Jan, the makeup lady. Uh, she asks how he how how Tori is doing, and then says about how Dawn's been spreading some rumors about what happened in that hotel room. Tori gets annoyed, upset, and she leaves. Um, Taz says, "How dumb is this?" It's 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 pretty dumb. Just the idea of like, oh, she's been saying all this stuff about you in the hotel room, and and it's like, hey, 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 Billy, look over there. That's the one that had the lesbian sex. Billy, that's the one. (laughs) It's like, what are you? What is this? Yeah, no, it's just a. It it is very. I don't even know how to describe it. I, I kind of just find it funny when Tori's trying to act throughout any of this stuff. It just Tori's is not pretty... a good actress. No, she's not a good actress. That's Ever. why she's going to wrestling. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, Taz says that he heard the rumors saying that it's really hot what he heard. Um, we then cut to Brock Lesnar doing a autograph signing, which I guess was probably one of the most miserable experiences of his entire run on the SmackDown originally. I imagine that at this stage, he might not hate it yet. You know, it's still early on. Uh, Brock has always given me the impression that he just hates people generally. So that's kind of... <laughs> but maybe, maybe maybe he wasn't so upset with it at this point in time. But Michael Cole teases that someone important came to the contracts to, to, to the autograph signing. Then we don't see that happen. <laughs> For some reason, they cut the entire segment out of it because it says, like, after the break, we're going to uh, see what this who this important person was. And then they just immediately cut to Paul Hone and Big Show entering Stephanie's office. What actually happened, which is what they cut out from the WWE Network for some reason or the other, is Kurt Angle arriving at the contract signing. I say contract signing, the autograph signing. And just assuming it's contract signing because Lesnar would never be at an autograph signing in like real life. But uh, yeah, but um, he says at the autograph signing that he wants to help Lesnar's suspension get lifted if Lesnar helps Angle beat the Big Show at Armageddon. So I don't understand why that would be cut out no i don't know either i don't know if like they said anything or maybe lesnar has something in had something in his previous contract saying i don't want to be shown in any sort of footage which shows me like being nice to people yeah (laughs) Yeah. so maybe they decided oh just cut this bit out we'll show the preview for it but then we'll uh, cut it away but yeah they just don't show that segment for some reason and uh Yes, yeah, so that's basically the seeds of the ply, and that makes what happens next make a lot more sense, which is Paul Heyman and Big Show entering Stephanie's office to complain about the Brock Lesnar situation, to complain about what Kurt Angle has planned and all that other stuff. Stephanie says that she's on the phone. Heyman is, like, willing to give her time to finish the call, but Big Show is angry because he's the champion. He doesn't want to be treated that way. But Heyman gets Show under control. They wait outside. And conveniently enough, we have a whole match to uh, fill in time between Stephanie's call. Which is, well, uh, thank God. I mean, to be fair, this is about the length of a call. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, another squash match. Uh, Bill DeMott versus Shannon Moore. Who's somehow not yet uh MFer. No, he's not, yeah, he's just now just not an MFer anymore. I guess they decided to just drop that before bringing it back. But in the pre-match promo, DeMott says that he likes beating people up. Well... <laughs> so we've been told. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've been told many times before. Thank you very much. Uh, DeMott uh, fittingly bullies uh, Moore throughout the match, just beats him up a lot. There's, there seems to be quite a few um, hard camera cuts in this match. 
which makes me think that there were a few botches here and there. So this has been a slight trend on the SmackDown yeah. shows because there was the one uh, last week where, okay, they cut out a full Benoit promo and it's understandable why. But then also in the Fatal 4-Way, there's the issue where like Eddie hits Benoit with the belt to knock him out and they do this awful camera cut. I feel like there's this weird propensity for this that they had with SmackDown at the time to just edit the crap out of it. Yeah, I guess well, they see that as the advantage of having a tape show. And it's also interesting with the mix of stuff where the parts of it that have been cut out because of the um, they were cut from the actual show and just the edits have been left in and the stuff that was cut out on the WWE Network because of things like the Benoit situation and things like that. So it's a weird weird mismatch of edits that we're seeing on uh, these shows. Yeah. Um, Demo- at one point, it's like a, a nice pop-up powerbomb. Uh, Moore does this clunky-looking roll-up out, roll out of the corner. Uh, Demott hits a power slam. Then there's Goldberg chance. Because any big guy ever is Goldberg, or because of the connection between Goldberg and Hugh Morris? Yeah, he's the, for people that don't know, Hugh Morris was the first guy that Goldberg defeated on his streak. So Would have been a really cool way to debut him. Like, no, I'm different now, and Goldberg still runs right through him. Yeah, that would have yeah, been fun. Yeah, that would have been great. But um, no, I assume it's just the propensity of, like, if you're pushing a big guy and you're giving him a win streak, then people are just going to chant Goldberg, especially if they don't think this guy can wrestle, which is one thing that they were wrong about. DeMott can wrestle. DeMott was a good wrestler. Um, he shows that by hitting a moonsault, which is picture perfect. And, uh, yeah, pins Shannon Moore, gets another victory. All aboard the DeMotts beat people up, right? Yeah, I would be... I would be less... Uh, underwhelmed with this if it had just gone anywhere. Anywhere under the sun. Yeah, that's kind of the um, thing with most uh, WWE stories, unfortunately, but... Um... And that's kind of the thing with a lot of the big bully people in this era of SmackDown, because uh, Demont's not going to go much of anywhere. A-Train's got a small push, but not even really much. Nathan Jones is Nathan Jones. It's like they tried a lot of things in this era, and not a lot of them stuck. Well, you know, the issue is the idea that, well, they see SmackDown too successful with all these little guys, but Vince likes big guys, and so it's got to start pushing some big guys. I guess that must be what it is. Uh, Stephanie invites, we'll talk about big guys. Stephanie invites Heyman and the big show back into the office, uh, saying she's busy arranging the signing of Scott Steiner. Heyman says he doesn't give a damn about Scott Steiner. Uh, probably get beaten up for that later on, but. Uh, and that's uh, not very smart. No, it's not, not a nice thing to say about uh, a guy that has shown a propensity to just beat the hell out of anyone for whatever reason whatsoever. Uh, they talk about Brock's suspension, which Stephanie says that he fulfilled in terms of so far, you know, the whole one week he's been suspended. Yeah, well, well, go ahead, go ahead. And uh, when she says that, is she expected to keep Brock off SmackDown forever? Heyman and Big Show both just say, yes, yes, you need to keep Brock Lesnar off SmackDown forever. Um, Stephanie says if Brock's not on SmackDown, the show loses money. Uh, Stephanie says she spoke to Kurt Angle. Heyman goes crazy again. And Stephanie says that helped her, made her make her mind up. As of Armageddon, Brock Lesnar's suspension will be lifted. Heyman and show go ballistic and leave the office. Uh, disclaimer, the comments that I'm about to make are well within 
reason of storyline. Go back and check the archives. I'm so glad Stephanie's not on her period anymore. That's, that's what this is, right? Yeah, she, so she turned babyface again, essentially. In yeah, this like, that's what the, the, so like the last two weeks, Stephanie's been a weird, out-of-nowhere heel. And now it's just like, you know what? I need Brock Lesnar on this show. He's a big star. His suspension is what? Like, yeah, and then it's also added by the fact that later in the night, everyone hates her again. So it's like, so there's like, it, they don't know very, what they're doing with staff. There's a lot of polarity in Stephanie right now, but um, we'll get to that obviously in that segment. With obviously, there's a lot to talk about in that segment. But so as we know of right now, the idea is that Brock Lesnar will be free to come to Armageddon. So now the question is, will he be in Kurt Angle's corner to help him take down the big show? Um, we move on from this now to the uh, WWE Tag Team Championship match. Uh, Los Guerreros defending against Chris Benoit and Billy Kidman. Random, but, you know, I'm here for it. It was, It's about as good as you can imagine. I, imagine, I actually feel like it actually makes a certain amount of sense because even though, obviously, it was a Cruiserweight title match the previous week, Billy Kidman did pin one of the tag team champions, and Chris yeah. Moore did pin the other tag team champion in that fatal four way match. So it actually makes some sort of logical sense. Okay, you both t- both uh, beat different members of the WWE tag team champions, so why don't you team up and take a shot at the tag titles? It's a weird sort of logic to that one. I kind of like. I may be a sheep in this regard, but I completely anytime I see anything remotely relevant around logic, I'm like, oh, that was a Heyman. Yeah, I know that's a. I, I think that's like fair to say, like Heyman or the Riot's thought oh, that would actually be a good idea and get a title match on SmackDown. That's always a good thing. And yeah, this match is is a very very good match. Um, it's obviously not the same level as like Guerrero's and Benoit and Angle thing because Kidman's not at the same caliber as Angle, but Kidman is still a very very good worker. Benoit is great, obviously. Both Guerrero's are at their, their dickish heelish best at this point. So yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff to go on. Yeah, and small notes, I love the matching gear. Benoit and Kidman wearing red, Guerrero's in purple. Mm. Small details really do help matches. Absolutely. So um, uh, Eddie makes the classic mistake of trying to powerbomb Kidman, and then uh, <laughs> and obviously that ends in an X-Factor. Uh, but they prevent him getting a tag. They do a lot of isolation work on Kidman, but Kidman makes his own comeback. Hits a, it's the oddest hot tag I've ever seen, where Kidman just beats both of them up hits a powerball on Eddie, and then makes the tag. Oh, okay, that's... I'm not entirely against He's it. He's exhausted. But it's like, <laughs> yeah, but it's usually the idea of, like, you make the hot tag when both guys are down, one the heel makes the tag, and then the babyface makes the tag, runs wild. But no, the, like, the heel has just been beaten the hell out of by the babyface, and the babyface then makes a hot tag. <laughs> just seems a little you know, bit odd to me. K- Kidman's not used to this game. He's like, I can't, I can't beat people up for this long. Tag him, Benoit. Let the machine go to work. Then they do this ridiculous thing, which is Benoit has Eddie Guerrero in the crossface, and then they go to commercial. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> well, stay tuned, kids. You never know. He might have tapped out here. But they didn't even do the thing that like JR used to do sometimes when Raw had a really inconvenient commercial break. Which was started screaming about, we got to go commercial, we'll be right back. And then just like, no, they're just being silent. And then Cole comes back and he like, apologizes for the commercial break. And um, when they come back, we see Kidman has a headlock on Charbo. Uh, they show a replay of Eddie tapping with the referee distracted, but Charbo then kicks Benoit off. And now we're going to have kind another... That's lame. Yeah, it was pretty lame. But now we have another heat segment on Kidman. Just like... I know they obviously 
the other two matches on this show that happened prior to it were nothing to shout about. So I guess they'd feel like they're trying they to make were, it they up. They were with less this than one. five minutes in length combined. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so yeah, they're trying yeah. to make it up with this one, but it's just like it's a double heat spot. Um, they target the legs of Kidman this time. Uh, Kidman reverses a back suplex into a crossbody for two, but Eddie's right back on him. Uh, Chavo and Eddie have started doing a lot of these non-tags, where and and that's and this is what annoys me about this match in particular is because Chavo and Eddie are doing non-tags where they clap their hands on the outside, but they're not actually tagging each other. I never understood that. So like, I don't want to drone out about this, but like that's a heel trope. And I'm like, if you're going to make the sound, just make the fucking tag. Yeah, I, 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 I'm okay with it when it's like the idea of um, like one of the, the, the legal man is outside the ring throwing the wrestler back into the ring. And so they just clap to just let the guy in immediately so he can get on him. That one I'm fine with. The one where they just clap their hands when they're standing right next to the to their partner is just, yeah, that's just bizarre to me. They're just doing it doesn't it make any sense. Yeah. And for that matter, I think this only works if both members of the team are identical like the bella twins could do this mm. because maybe the referee would actually be confused but if i turn my back and eddie's in the ring and i turn around and it's chavo i'm like hey wait a minute no well that's, that's the... not yeah that's what i'm gonna bring up now on this point of thing is that uh kidman gets away he makes the hot tag to benoit but then the referee the referee didn't see the tag and so benoit can't come in it's yeah like... <laughs> Like you didn't see any of these Guerrero tags, and yet they're allowed in the ring, and so. But that's different because they're heels. I I get it to that extent. I just don't. I think there's better ways to do it. I I just think it's just a, it's a huge departure from logic in the structuring of this match. I don't know who was who was in charge of structuring this match, but they completely fucked that up. In my I mind. don't know why referees are made to look like imbeciles. Mm. Well, I get, at least it's not AEW at this point, but. Oh, uh, this is only sporadic at this point in time, but um, but Ben Wilder decides he's going to come in anyway. He starts just clearing house, suplexing people all over the place. He hits the headbutt on Eddie. Then he covers. The referee counts it, even though commentary shouts about the fact that Ben Wilder isn't the legal man, and so Charles has to break it up. Just like there's no control over this one. They've all completely lost the plot at this point. The referee doesn't know what's going on or what he's supposed to be doing. Just yeah, just ridiculous. Um. Benoit has Chavo in the crossface. Kidman sets up for a shooting star press on Eddie Guerrero, but he misses the shooting star. Eddie rolls him up with a jackknife pin, gets his foot on the ropes to retain. So, yeah, some some dodgy continuity issues, some bad refereeing. Mike Kyoto looked like a complete idiot in this match. But the action itself was good. Yeah, and I'm just glad that we got at least a couple good matches on this show. Well, we got one good match with, I guess, a semi-decent main because a lot of the wrestling on this show sucks but at least you want to watch the pay-per-view in that regard because you can't get pay-per-view quality matches on tv i guess so but it's just um we were talking about things that suck uh let's move on to this whole uh big dawn marie tori wilson l wilson stuff um which takes up a good proportion of this show uh tori walks backstage in what i can only presume was a cold corridor yeah, based, yeah. Based on her, how how she was reacting. Based on to things. The yeah. Um, she finds Dawn in a locker room in a red satin robe. Uh, berates her for spreading rumors, saying what happened in the hotel was strictly personal between them. Uh, Dawn says she can't believe her tone after what they did together. 
she disrobes into her bra and panties when she's like describing what it was like to be with Tori. Uh, Tori tells her to stop spreading rumours. Dawn says that she hasn't told a single rumour or a lie. She's been telling. Yeah, I was going to say, wait truth. a minute. <laughs> you know, Don Marie really doesn't come off like a heel ever. Mm. Uh, Tori says that Al is outside, and she tells Dawn to get dressed, go out to the ring with her father, and break his heart in front of the whole world. That's essentially what she says. But like, <laughs> I want you to go out there, take my father in front of thousands of people on t- in, in the arena and millions of people watching at home and tell him that you're not going to marry him. So he might even just die of a broken heart in the middle of the ring. Go right so, there. And- <laughs> uh, on our most recent uh, feature, we did Miss the Smart. We had this like talk about Kelly Kelly and Mike Knox and whether or not Mike Knox is actually a bad guy. Now, I'm going to stake my claim right now. Don Marie's not a villain in this scenario she's not she just isn't like tori seems like a little bit of a bitch here because she just has no concern for whether or not her father is emotionally okay she's just like i don't want you with that person Mm. it's not very nice tori yeah i think dawn moved a bit more into the hill spectrum when she basically forced tori to sleep with her against her will that's kind of like <laughs> you go into the hill dynamic a little bit there. Oh, but okay, that is, you know, basically that, they're all unlikable. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, but uh, 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 Dawn, Dawn is a sexual, yeah, Dawn is a sexual predator and manipulator. Tori is someone who like makes claims against someone just because they don't like him, and so she wants to ruin her father's happiness just because she doesn't like Dawn Marie. And Al Wilson is incredibly boring and stupid. <laughs> well, now, I, I haven't thought that Al Wilson is unlikable, but I think uh, after this segment, maybe, because he's like, you slept with my daughter? I don't care. Let's get married. Like, it's all very weird. It's all very bad, poor logic, and it's not good. Yeah, so Dawn Marie comes out. Cole says that she's a manipulator and Tori is an innocent victim and all this. Uh... Maybe this is more about how much I pay attention to certain things, but Dawn clearly isn't wearing a bra when she comes out, even though she was wearing bra and panties backstage. Well, she had to make it more convincing for Al. I don't know. Well, in the cat fight later on as well, she's like Tori rips up the skirt, like rips up the dress a little bit, and she, she's wearing black panties instead of the pink ones that she was wearing earlier on. So just like, again, continuity. I mean, yeah. who really cares? But, you know, it's just that's just something. No, to say. no, you're absolutely right. It makes you wonder, like, did they have to refilm the backstage segments? Did they want to? Makes you wonder what happened there. So she invites Al down to the ring. He comes out to no music. Uh, Dawn says that she missed Al so terribly when he's away that she did stuff with Tori instead. Basically, says, like, oh, every time he looks in your eyes, I saw. Every time I looked into all these eyes, I saw you and all this other ridiculous verbiage. Uh, Callum, when you look at Al Wilson, do you see Tori? Um, unfortunately, no. <laughs> like, I, I, I guess it would be worse the other way around if you looked at Tori and you saw Al Wilson. That would probably be like the worst. <laughs> I mean, end of the poor thing. Billy Kidman, my God. Uh, yeah, so basically, she says that because Al was away overseas for some unexplained reason. Uh, <laughs> Tori was like he, he, her only connection to Al, so she essentially she was fucking Tori to feel like she was fucking Al Wilson instead. Ah, God, that's the logic here. 
Dawn says that before Al makes his decision, she wants her to she wants him to consider if he'll ever find a woman that makes him feel the way that she does. So that's a little bit manipulative. Basically saying, okay, you're never going to find a woman as hot as me again. So it doesn't really matter what I do. You've got to marry me because I'm because you're never going to be this happy ever again. Um, Al then says, as you rightly said, that he still wants to marry Dawn, even though he fucked, even though she fucked her, his daughter. Um, uh, Dawn says that no one will tell her that uh, she can't be his wife. Tori charges the ring. There's this big one-sided cat fight with Dawn. Al tries to get involved, and Tori sure does. Pushes, yeah, and Tori clumsily pushes him onto his ass. Yeah, and he has this great like, oh my, <laughs> just the this yeah. whole. Thing. Who saw Al Wilson and was like, we have to get this guy on TV? Mm. Can you explain that to me, Calum? No, I can't explain it. Like, I don't know why they thought that this was a really good... I guess they just, like, I don't know, maybe... I... The only thing that I can think that possibly happened is that for some reason Al Wilson was just at a taping one day and was just here to visit uh, Tory. And Vince took one look at Al and took one look at Tory and he couldn't believe that Al Wilson was Tory's father <laughs> because... Again, he doesn't look like the guy that would be Tory Wilson's father. And so he thought, oh, this guy's hilarious because he's, like, dumpy-looking and old. And so we can make a really good character out of the fact that he's, like, the whole joke is the fact that he's Tory Wilson's father, but he can't be Tory Wilson's father because he's in no way attractive. <laughs> well, I mean, that's so dumb. But that would totally be what Vince's sense of humour would be. You're, t- you're telling me that's not what happened? No, it's absolutely what Vince would do, but it's just crazy. So they uh, push them out of the ring. Uh, Tori sends Dawn into the still steps. Referees come out to separate Tori. Uh, Dawn Marie grabs the mic. She tells Tori that at the pay-per-view, she's going to show the whole world what happened in that hotel room. Uh, she claims like Tori enjoyed every single second of it. Tori's trying to still get her through the referees. And uh, then she makes the claim that Tori is nothing but a sexual predator. Who decided this? Uh, well, <laughs> oh, I'm guessing Vince. I'm guessing Vince and Stephanie. No, this has Heyman. No, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this has Heyman on it. Well, I think because because Stephanie was the one that ended up like directing the hotel room scene. It's definitely like I think they've said in um in a shoot interviews previously and and, uh, following this uh, Dawn and Tori about the fact that it was Stephanie in the hotel room with them, essentially directing everything. So I I feel like this. When I see something bad creatively, and again, maybe this is just bias taking over because Paul Heyman did do some shitty things as a promoter as well and book with ECW. But I see something with this level of just really desperation logic because this is the sort of stuff that Raw was doing as well and not working. And so they've just decided, oh, let's do it on SmackDown instead. Maybe that will work. It's... So I don't feel like it's Heyman because Heyman was only touching SmackDown. Whereas I feel like... Well, Vince had his hands on both Raw and SmackDown, and so this is the sort of stuff that was happening on both shows. So that's what—that's at least what my, I'm inferring from it. It's so wild to me that like Stephanie McMahon is the one directing Corey Wilson and Don Marie doing what they do in that hotel room. It, and to me, that the idea to send Stephanie to direct it seems like a Vince directive. Like, oh yeah. It's just, I I don't know, man. It's, mm. it's pretty. It's a pretty big departure from everything that we love about Paul Heyman SmackDown. So after the break, Taz talks about how excited he is to see the footage of Armageddon. They show footage of Tori crying her eyes out during the break. 
because yeah, she's basically the Tori Dawn is going to expose her being molested essentially against her will. Uh, uh, well, so you we can say that based on the context that we know, mm. but also knowing what we'll see, it it's like damn Tori, do you really want people to just not know that you were like kind of into it? It's okay, like it's. It's very weird that this is being described as like this shameful thing. I think, I think, okay, there's there's definitely like layers into this, and I don't really want to go into it because we're definitely not qualified to talk about this sort of subjects at all, really. But there are layers to it. Just because someone enjoys or gets some sort of pleasure out of being like being having some sort of sexual situation against their will doesn't make it better. Doesn't make it less. A bit of a crime or an issue. Yeah, I I, know I can agree with that, but like, just again, based on the way that they, based on the way that they presented, they presented like, yeah, ha, she she did like it. So up yours, it's not rape. You know, it's it's just it's very strange. Yeah, there's there's just a whole like can of worms associated with it. I don't really want to go too much into detail about it just because again, we're not qualified to talk about these sort of things. We are and not we, be, uh, we, know, we're, I, we're qualified to take the piss out of it on a wrestling show because this angle is just stupid. And just like not to go too dive too deeply into what it kind of says about the wider ramifications of like of the sexual uh, relations of women. Yeah, the sexual relation. Well, the sexual relation with the women, the idea of like being manipulated into a sexual situation, being blackmailed by that regard, um, like a younger and how woman manipulating an older entertainment. Man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is supposed to be entertaining. This is supposed to be titillating for us, rather than what what we could see nowadays. Like when you actually dip, do, delve deeper into it. And then again, like obviously we were watching this when we were like kids, and so we didn't know any better. But then when you retract, retrospectively go back and watch this, this stuff is like really damaging. Like this is stuff that somebody can, like certain people would take and be influenced by in a very negative way. No, and I, for me at least, I want to speak for you. That makes it worse. Oh, it does like, make that it makes worse. Absolutely, so makes it much worse. worse for me because I'm like, dude, this is the way I grew up seeing adults interact, and it's one thing to go like, well, you know, Kane and the Undertaker aren't brothers, but like. These are just two normal-looking people, and it's just very—it's it, very clear that we should not have been watching this as children. I'll say that. Oh, well, we talk about that a little bit later with the um, Stephanie and Scott Steiner stuff. But uh, before that, we <laughs> yes. have uh, we have Jamie Noble versus Crash Hartley. So Noble comes out accompanied by Nindia, but there's no Nundio as of yet. Uh, Taz says that he's got a big description of a uh, Nundio about saying that he's like six foot eleven. Like bet barrel chested, three hundred pounds, whatever, something like that. And uh, essentially, this match is just a bunch of moves because they know that they're only getting a few minutes, and then Nunzio's running out, so they just yeah. do stuff. So like they have, uh, like Crash hits his bangerang style move. Then Noble goes for Hurricanrana, but Crash blocks it. He goes for the Crash landing, but he can't get hook it in just yet. But before he could hook it in, Nunzio comes in, dives in, attacks from behind for the DQ. Another match that goes sub three minutes. I they were really big on that on this show, and it makes you wonder like how long were the tape things? Because this is an hour; it barely goes over seventy five minutes, and it's not that long. So Nunzio beats the hell out of Crash. The crowd start a like a light ECW chant. 
because obviously they know it's Guido. Uh, Lindsay heads Fisherman Buster, then hugs with Noble, while Nidia looks like upset about the whole arrangement. So, yeah, so Nunzio is now the cousin and tag team partner of Noble, and Nidia's upset about that. And they don't even remotely uh, bring this up for much longer? No, they're... By, by February, uh, Nunzio has very much moved on to the full-bloody Italians gimmick. So so this barely lasts anything at all, and they're barely on TV together in that time as well. So, yeah. So yeah. Yay for storylines being dropped. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that a couple times on this show. Mm. So Limo pulls up outside, and commentary says it's got Steiner. Production crew informs Stephanie of this. She says that she'll be waiting with Steiner's contract in the ring. Uh, so Stephanie comes out. They share that she's on the cover of the new WWE magazine. Uh, I'm just going to ask this. Tori's done Playboy a couple of times. Do you think they ever came for Stephanie? Well, I'm sure they had to at one point. I think that I think with Stephanie, it's it's a bit different just because she is the boss's daughter. I think they would have definitely gone for it if they had the option to. I mean, let's put it this way. There, there probably isn't a top diva in WWE at this point in time that Playboy didn't go after. Or they or WWE didn't suggest to them why don't you do Playboy, and so I imagine that Trish was asked. I imagine Stacey Keebler was asked. I imagine Lita was asked to do it, but Tori was one of the ones that did do it. They did it a lot with the Diva Search contestants going forward, but I think Stephanie was probably a bridge too far. Yeah, I, I would I would imagine. If Stephanie had but, said, like, I'm desperate to do it, I'm desperate to do Playboy, then they would have obviously gone with it. But, like, I assume she wasn't too, either wasn't too keen or wasn't, like, didn't care about that idea. And so if she wasn't going to do it, then nobody's ever. I, I feel quite, um, outside of Vince, I'd feel quite um, a lot of respect for the person that would go up to Stephanie at and says, why don't you pose nude? <laughs> for the greater good, you know? Um, outside of this, just a brief note, because we're both nerds. Uh, Metroid on the Game Boy Advance being on the back cover of the WWE magazine. Oh, yeah. It's do you, you have that game? I know you were big on the Game Boy Advance. I, I was big on the Game Boy Advance. I don't think I had Metroid. Not that I'm aware of. I had more of the, um, like, um, like Super, yeah. Super Mario games and um, Pokemon definitely was, like, the big Game Boy Advance one for me. Fair enough. I think, uh, just real quick, GBA, great handheld, top five. Oh, absolutely. It's one of the, yeah, it's one of the... Um, it's definitely a system that I got a lot of um, enjoyment out of. I think um, one of my favorite games in it was some sort of um, this weird Looney Tunes style Mario Party game. I can't remember oh, the name of it. Yeah, but it was essentially a game where you like collected gems throughout the whole thing. And you essentially you were four people just doing a, a mixture of just w- walking around the board and mini games. And so, yeah, it definitely just was a, a Looney Tunes ripoff of Mario Party. But uh yeah, that was a, a lot of fun as well. But yeah, Game Boy Advance, great, great console. Yes. Um, so we move on to uh, Scott Steiner comes out. Um, he gets into the ring and he like touches Stephanie's hair. Uh, Cole talks about how they had like intense negotiations. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. How's your mother? That sort of thing. And yeah. it's just like, uh, but yeah, essentially it's the idea that Stephanie is giving like the the way that I describe it, the fuck me eyes to Steiner constantly in this entire like opening negotiations. Um, Steiner then goes like he's going to sign, but he takes the mic from Stephanie and says that Stephanie made some very suggestive promises to him. And then they drove off into the night after the episode of Raw in the limo. And then Steiner says that absolutely nothing happened after that. That is my favorite thing 
in the history of WWE reveals that he's just like, no, you, you fucking lied to me. You yeah. lied to the people. Yeah, she, so she didn't uh, scream boom shakalaka. She didn't howl at the moon, was the way that Skyner describes it. Um, <laughs> so, but then Steiner says that like Stephanie has the like, the look and the need that she wants to know what it's like to be the real man. <sighs> I'm sure, I'm sure uh, Triple H was very uh, happy to hear that line come out. I'm sure Triple H threw something through a wall. Yeah, I think Triple H full after that. He starts saying. Yeah, this guy's not winning my world title. That's not really like a very quick uh, yeah. back there. Um, Stephanie says that uh, this isn't the place to make good on promises, saying that essentially what her promises were were a signing bonus. So once Steiner signs on the dotted line, they can seal the deal and, yeah, just fuck, essentially. <laughs> and then... Uh... I, you know, I am certain that this is the segment that after which... Triple H went out and bought an engagement ring and said, you know what? I think we need to just, like, stop this. this I'm going to lock this down. We're going to stop this. You know what the, the thing is, though? Because, like, in my mind, going through it, because what I've seen of Stephanie McMahon as an authority figure over the past, like, several years, whatever, my thought when she says that phrase, when she's doing, like, the whole, like, suggestive thing or whatever, like, she was just going to wait for Steiner to sign the third line, and then she was never going to follow through on that promise. Yeah, Stephanie seems like that kind of person. Yeah, so Steiner then pushes her back onto the desk and says that, like, why wait about all this signing bonus stuff? Like, uh, his freaks like to watch, and there's a video camera, so let's make our own home movie. Uh, so, yeah, so this is, this is something <laughs> that ages terribly in like, today's context. You, you, you don't say. So it's, so it's definitely a man, it's definitely a man Helmsley. The, the woman who is just like obviously in character, single and all this other stuff, but she's the general manager of SmackDown. She's been presented as like this super powerful woman who's trying to like control and run the show. And this guy, Scott Steiner, has come in. He's already a lech, essentially. He's already felt up uh, Nydia without her consent. He's already tried to get Victoria to become one of his freaks immediately. And then he just wants to essentially fuck Stephanie in public in front of everyone <sighs> when she's clearly doesn't seem to be super into the idea about how he just pushes her back onto the table and just yeah that's yeah it's it's not a good look whatsoever you know okay so first of all we gotta do the whole different time and yes yes it was but my God, not only does this age poorly, but I every time I see stuff like this, this journey has made me want to go, yeah, hi, Stephanie. Can you just talk about this? Can you talk about, like, what what were you thinking? You know, especially you, you telling me now that she was the director of the uh, Tori and Dawn stuff. Like, explain your actions knowing that you are now Mrs. Female Empowerment. Yeah, so Stephanie pushes him off, saying that she clearly has more morals than his freaks. The crowd then start chanting slut, which is the absolute opposite of what she's being right now. <laughs> it's like, if she was a slut, yeah, she probably would have just like, yeah, open my legs, let's get this contract signed, that sort of thing. That's just like, but what she's being is she's being a prude, but the crowd can't chant prude because they're idiots and they have to just chant slut because they've always chanted slut, Stephanie, man. 
Or at the very least, you can say she's decided to be a respect respectable businesswoman. But no, but she's a slut apparently. Yeah, she's a slut because she won't have sex with a guy in the rain. That's essentially oh, what. A what slut. A... Oh, that... you, you, yeah, you slut. You never having yeah. sex with anyone. <laughs> you. You could call her a tease, since she basically lied and said that she would. She did already. Well, that, well, that's what Steiner does call her. Steiner does call her a tease. Then she's saying that she she's fallen through on all his, her promises. She doesn't like the way he doesn't like the way that she does business. He says that he would love to sign for SmackDown. He'd love to be on the show, but he's not signing because of the way that she's treated him. Um, so he says that he'll be going to Raw instead. Uh, Stephanie grabs the mic. And so she desperately starts pleading with Steiner, saying, like, okay, I'll seal the deal. She's basically saying, like, okay, come back to the ring, let's fuck, and then you can sign the contract. That's how desperate she was to get Scott Steiner on SmackDown. Uh, Steiner walks towards the back. Bischoff comes out, meets him there. Steiner walks away. Bischoff comes out. He gloats at Stephanie. He just starts laughing. Stephanie throws all of the furniture around. She tips the table over. She throws around the chairs. Throws the contract up towards Bischoff. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's a segment. This is maybe, and uh, Stephanie's done some bad things on TV. This is maybe the worst light she could ever be booked in. I mean, she goes from being like, like almost like the, the gullible high school girl who's like, I had sex with Scott Steiner. Actually, I didn't. But if you sign this contract, I will. Actually, you know what? You're gross, and so are the people who want it. And he's like, "Okay, so that was the deal, as gross as it is." So I'm leaving, and then she's like, "No, wait, we we could we could have sex, come on." And then yeah. on top of all of that, she's made to look like a brat, mm. and just starts having a temper tantrum because she didn't get the contract signed. It's it's not a good look. Yeah, it's 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 very very like all over the place tonight. So Stephanie's already done some sort of baby face thing where she's bringing Brock Lesnar back after suspending him in the first place and being healed for the last two weeks. So she turns baby face there and then she comes to the ring. She does this stuff with Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner is an uber baby face despite the fact that he's an absolute like lech and pervert. But then it's just the idea of, and Stephanie says, okay, I'll do all, do all these things, but I won't actually until you sign the contract. And Steiner, I guess rightly by any stretch of imagination, if she's made those promises and she's broken them, can feel like, well, I'm not going to sign with you, then I'll go to Raw instead. And then, yeah, and then she's just reeks of desperation beyond that point. Yeah. So, yeah, and again, it's not this a good is look. the boss's daughter. So, like... <laughs> well, she's been embarrassed. That... That's the idea. Like, she... Vince sees her... I, I think Vince sees a lot more of himself in Stephanie than he does in Shane. And I think it's the idea of, well, if you're going to be the next... Vince McMahon who are going to take over from me then you have to be willing to be as embarrassed as I'm willing to be in certain things I mean Vince McMahon pissed himself in the ring once okay and to that effect I will say I can see Vince McMahon you know getting beat up by Stephanie Trish and Linda and saying I did that you can do this but it's just different Mm. But it's the kind of different that I guess Vince, and especially Vince in 2002, would not see. Yeah, prob- I, I, I'd imagine so. So they show a recap of Albert's attack on Mysterio last week, and they show footage of Mysterio's surgery. 
Um, Mysterio talks about the fact that Albert was the one that caused the injury, even though obviously he was going on the shelf anyway, but they're, they're tying that together because they still have a narrative to tell. Uh, they also show Albert's attack on Edge. One thing, another thing they cut out from the show is that there was a backstage promo or segment between uh, Heyman. Heyman, show and Albert. And this is where, where Heyman calls him A-Train. Yeah, and says that he's like a locomotive. He's an A-Train. And then that's when he gets christened with the new name. So, I can't, I cannot for the life of me understand why the Bodman body spray fragrance replay of Benoit and Guerrero made it in and not any of that stuff. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. But um, Edge cuts a promo. He recaps the entire event of last week. He brings up that Albert is calling himself the A-Train. Uh, and then he'll get a beat down at Armageddon. Again, Edge is not a great promo at this point in time. It's not not uh, very No, he really, he really needed to have that affair. That, <laughs> that, that turns it around. That turns it around for him. Odd thing, that, 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 that didn't work for Bill Clinton. That's sad. Like, really, no, this it's time. not, but it works for Edge. Uh, Angle steps up to him and says that he wants to hear what Edge has to say about what's going to happen tonight because they're teaming up together and they clearly don't get along still. Uh, Edge asks if Angle has his back. Angle says that he's confident he'll have Edge's back in the same way that Brock will have his back at Armageddon. So that's a, a roundabout way of saying, yeah, I'll have you back tonight. Um, time to run down the Armageddon card. I love this part of the show. Uh, two out of three falls match for the World Heavyweight Championship. Shawn Michaels defending against Triple H. Um, we'll talk more about it when we review Armageddon, but this is one of the most unsung matches in both men's career. Uh, Women's Championship, Victoria defending against Trish and Jacqueline in a triple threat match. Mentioned it earlier, one of the best women's matches you'll see from this era. Edge versus the A-Train. Not great. <laughs> Not a little <laughs> summation there. <laughs> sorry, they barely believe the sorry. Get a preview for the review of next, uh, next, uh, uh, Patreon thing. Uh, Chris Jericho and Christian defending the World Tag Team Championships against Booker T and Goldust, uh, Lance Storm, William Regal, and the Dudley Boys. Fun. And this, to me, solidifies that Jericho is that guy who can slide up and down the card. Uh, Christian Moore versus Eddie Guerrero. How can you go wrong? Kane versus Batista. I'm going to say the same thing. How can you go wrong? And the big show defending the WWE Championship against Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle can work with a broomstick legitimately and big show. How about how about 50 broomstick. broomsticks tied together? <laughs> <laughs> he can do it. Um, Heyman walks down the corridor flanked by like his two massive superstars. So we have um we have a uh, big show and A Train come out. So Big Show comes out first on his own, and then A Train comes out with the new um locomotive style music um then Kurt Angle and Edge obviously come out um show pushes Edge onto his ass as he like trash talks him early on um Edge goes for the attack but he's stopped by a chop Angle tags in he wants to fight Big Show but Big Show decides I'm gonna wait till Armageddon so tags in A-Train instead uh there's again there's loud shave your back chance they've got this thing over really really quickly yeah which is dumb if I'm honest did he ever used to get like shave your back chance before? Coming? I imagine it like, when just he was with draws. When he was with draws. N- nah, see, because I don't think they knew how to react to him yet. Right. 
Um, so Angle has a like does hits a missile drop kick from the second rope. So this is something they're doing with Angle at the moment is that obviously because he's gonna be fighting the big show and he's fighting A Train here, they're giving him a few high flying moves because obviously he can't do all his usual stuff against a guy like the big show. And uh, Kurt Angle again, one of the most versatile performers ever, so this was easy. Uh Edge tags in, he rains down punches to A Train, he's soon overwhelmed though. Um, Edge escapes a military press into a roll through, but then he runs into the bicycle kick. Um, yeah, Albert does those pretty good. Yeah, Albert Albert is a very good like um, he's a, he's a very good worker. He just um, I don't say he was like lacking personality. I just don't think they ever really knew what he just wasn't to do a good with. superstar, but he's a solid worker. Yeah, uh, A Train Show then go to work on Edge's leg. Obviously, the one that Albert attacked earlier uh, last week. Uh, Heyman taunts him with the title as they beat him down. Uh, saying show took that from Brock Lesnar, so what chance do you have? Um, a really long heat segment until Edge hits a tornado DDT out of the corner onto uh, A Train. Uh, Angle hits the hot tag, he drops Kick Mysterio at the knee, lays in a few strikes. A Train gets in behind, but this is only because, well, Angle can't really do like, a really good heat segment on the big show, so instead he's going to triple German suplex 350 pound man. Just throws Albert all over the place. Ridiculous. Um, it's great. But again, great best in the world. Oh yeah, absolutely best in the world. Uh, he gets booted by Show. Uh, Big Show then hits an alley oop power bomb. You don't hear that all the time. No, it's um, it's a move that's very polarizing because, like, Big Show did this quite a lot actually for a little while, and I don't know if I like it or I dislike it because it looks like it's it's pretty scary, but I don't know whether I think that it's pretty scary just because. It is scary, and they shouldn't do a move that looks that dangerous. I'm sure, but show's safe, right? Oh, yeah, show's safe. It's just a case of... But it's just a guy going over somebody's head, like, from nine feet up and landing on their face is a little bit just worrying for me. I don't know whether just landing on... Whether that's better than landing on your back or whatever, but either way, it's not the... um, it, it It's a move that looks at least effective. Uh, Edge hits a missile drop kick, takes Big Show down. Um, Show avoids the spear, Edge hits the A-train instead. Uh, Show then misses a boot, gets caught in the ropes. Edge climbs to the top rope, but um, while Big Show's dealing with the referee, A-train hits Edge in the leg with a steel chair again, sending Edge flying to the floor. So Angle's now in a two-on-one situation. Um, He's beaten up for a while, but then he avoids an A-train splash that hits Show, hits two massive angle slams both. I couldn't believe the elevation he got on Big Show's angle slam. You think Big Show's working here? Like, you think... Big Show's, Show's doing stuff. Yeah, prove... Big Show's helping him, yeah. Obviously, he, ha- he had to. But I mean, I he's gotta be, but like I'm saying, I'm sure Angle could get some elevation, but how hard do you think Show is working? Well, considering that he managed to get at least a foot off the mat with that Angle slam, I thought that was pretty fucking impressive, really. And Angle... Look, the crowd is going crazy for Angle. Angle was a heel two weeks ago, and the crowd is going absolutely crazy for him. Just like him just fighting off all odds and beating up these two giants. Uh, he applies an ankle lock to Big Show, but Heyman gets on the apron. Angle goes to hit him, but misses. And then Show grabs him, nails the choke slam, and pins Angle. And I like the match. Yeah, solid bang event. Especially for these four, when you think about it for real. When you think about Big Show and A Train in a match, especially when you look at what they're going to do at WrestleMania, it's. Surprising that it was this enjoyable. Uh, Heyman then orders A Train to hit his over the shoulder backbreaker to Kurt Angle uh, post match, and the heels uh, celebrate to go off air. 
So the one thing that tells me, based on what I know, obviously, going back and obviously this happening in history, is that this only makes sense if Kurt Angle didn't sign with Paul Heyman until after Armageddon. Yeah. Because if they make some sort... I can't remember the total promo segment which announces their union coming forward again, spoiler alert, but... It's it's all it's all there in the record books. You want to check it out, but it's just a case of if they make some sort of statement to say like this was our plan all along, then this makes no fucking sense. Yeah, it really doesn't because you shouldn't have had to make all of that fuss between your two clients. But he probably signed him after Armageddon. Like as soon as he beat Kurt Angle, Paul Heyman it was like a weasel. Yeah, you know? I, I assume this was Kurt, Ang- Kurt Angle's plan was to. Help use Lesnar to help him win the match and then side with the guy that can keep him away from Brock Lesnar. So, but anyway, uh, this show, eh, this show kind of sucked. Yeah, th- like, it, has, it, it has been a great run recently. Like, if we're telling the away. truth here, this was another one of those shows, not as egregious as a couple of weeks ago, but this was another one of those, like, damn, this was like. Kids should not have been watching this. This was not even that great of a wrestling program. They were trying too much Gaga, and it just doesn't hit with me. Yeah, it's uh, all the Tory Dawn and Stephanie Steiner stuff like drags it down. The the shit. And then, like squash the matches. five squash match. Yeah, like it's just, like, it's not great. Even okay, Los Guerreros defending against Benoit and. Kidman is a great hidden gem of a match, but even that in the long run doesn't carry a lot of weight. Yeah, so obviously we'll look forward to next week's one. Obviously, we've got Armageddon sandwiched in between this episode and the next one. So if you are at the $10 tier or above on the Patreon, then you can expect to see that on your feeds very soon. Tuesday, Uh, it should be dropping Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, we'll drop on Tuesday. Um, And then back on Saturday, we'll be back with the fallout from Armageddon where... We have the winner of the WWE Championship match and all the fallout that comes out of that. Um, I'm trying to recall any of Obviously, it's starting the build towards the Royal Rumble as well. So, obviously, that's an exciting time. The greatest... The greatest WWE Championship match on pay-per-view, maybe. Like, I, it's it's, I don't it's, know it's up it's, there. It's one of my favorite it, matches of all time. Yeah, so like, I'm it's very not much that much of a stretch. Yeah, but Armageddon will be fun as well to recap and we'll be obviously back next week with more of this stuff so hopefully you've enjoyed this edition even if though uh the recent run of the smackdown episode hasn't been the most um has been as enjoyable as the months prior to it but hopefully they start to ready the sh- right uh like steady the ship a little bit in the last few months of Heyman's reign now because uh we're definitely past the halfway point of Heyman being in charge of smackdown now we're so. past the half uh next week will be the week 26 we're at the half Way of a year. We've been doing this six months, Cal. I know. It's uh, hard to believe. Hope, I'm, I'd thank everyone for, obviously, um, who stuck with us all the way through at this point. But, um, yeah, once we're, this is done, though, we um only got, like, I guess, like, three months left of this thing. What was the I'll shout special? out Guest 5, who has really been saying that he's enjoying us going back in time. And we appreciate you following us along on this journey. You know, everybody, it means so much that, Callum and I going back in time is entertaining for you. Yeah, absolutely. And don't worry, me and Rob do have plans for what we will intend to do, maybe following this Paul Heyman journey. I don't know when it will happen, if it will happen like immediately afterwards, or we might take a little bit of a break because 
these researching for all these things can take it out of you after a little bit. So, uh, but I here's what it. we can say for certain is if we're going to talk about wrestling, we'd like to stay in the past as much as possible. Absolutely. So, yeah, these are uh, coming or more things are coming in the future. Uh, but for now, uh, obviously, we've talked about the Patreon as well. But if you can, obviously, give any form of donation, of course, that helps a lot. Obviously, $10 and above, you'll get to, see, to uh, listen to our review of Armageddon. But even just a buck goes uh, a long way. Obviously, if you want to support us any other ways in the monetary side, a great way to do that is through the Redbubble and Public merchandise shops, where you can pick up some Smart Cat Moment merchandise to line your wardrobes and your walls and all that other great stuff. Um, check out the website, obviously, smartcatmoment.com for all the great articles that are going out re- recently. Obviously, I do the power rankings, but there's a lot of other great weekly stuff. Tony doing his reviews. Check out the hill and face turn list. Tell Tony why someone should be on one side when he's actually on the other. <laughs> he really loves it when you do that. He does. He loves it so much. Um, obviously, check us out on Facebook, on Twitter. Follow Smartcat Moment, at Smartcat Moment. Uh, join the Mega Maniacs uh, type Facebook group where you can just get involved in conversations with wrestling fans. You can check out all of the uh, like latest updates and stuff like that. All of the um, when we do pay per view reviews, there's usually a live chat going on, so you can follow that along as well. Uh, Fanboys Anonymous, Tony's uh, geek culture brand, uh, like strand of uh, his website empire. We can check out all the stuff where like comic books, movies. Uh, television, video games, all you'll find all that stuff on fanboysanonymous.com. Uh, so check out them there, check out their Patreon, check out them on social media, check out their Redbubble and Publics, all that great stuff. Rob, you're a very busy man in the wrestling world nowadays. What have you got coming up? I am a very busy man in the wrestling world nowadays. So you can check me out on Fightful.com where I am all weekend and by next week, by the time we're Doing this again, I will be full-time for Fightful. So check me out over there. Check me out while you can on WrestleZone.com. Check out everything I've got going on at Dude Felice. And I thank you for this journey, and I can't wait to be back here with Callum next week. Yeah, for, for me, obviously, you can follow me on tw- at, on Twitter at Wigmeister14. And, yeah, I think that's rounds everything up. So thank you very much for checking out this edition. We will see you again next week if you obviously listening to Armageddon we'll see you even sooner than that but for now this has been another smart cat moment and we are being counted out Ah!